Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, your favorite podcast of uh, elixirs that keep elixiring. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I'm here with Chris Bell. So I did a panel this week, and they made me say keep elixiring at the end of the panel, and I've never been prouder. Really? You didn't feel like a monkey? <laughs> a little bit. But anyway, hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I've been, um, I've been elixiring, man. I've been programming all week. Oh, for real? What have you been doing? Yeah. Uh, I'm working on this jobs board. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, a little bit of background. We did some surveys of MPEX attendees and I think maybe also of Elixir Talk, um, programmers. And one of the things that people kept asking us was like, I'm really interested in this, but how do we get jobs? And this has come up a couple of times on the podcast recently. And so we thought, well, why don't we just like help people find jobs? So there's a couple of, uh, job boards out there that have Elixir jobs on them. I haven't been that thrilled with it, to be honest. So what we're looking at is a place for people who listen to this podcast or are into MPEX or really anyone, um, who just wants an Elixir job. We're only going to list Elixir companies and vet them so you know we talk to them beforehand so that we know that they are actually writing elixir full-time it's not just some tucked away side project and they surface things like what's their interview process how big is the team uh things that you know matter to people when they think about joining a company so just make it kind of a little more full full featured kind of mpexify the um the job finding space so i've been uh coding up this coding up this thing man digging into it so, can you tell us about the stack, the all-important stack? I'm sure it's extremely over-engineered, right? Uh, it's Elixir and Phoenix. Oh, is that it? There's no, Back like, you haven't done, like, a CQRS, like, commanded Phoenix app that, I don't know, persists into some kind of crazy data store? So, here's what's funny about it, is when I have a side project of, like, something that I know how to build. It's not an experiment. I just like want the product out the door. I kind of just hack at it. Mm. And just, I have this mentality of like, let's just get this done. Let's get it out the door. Um, which is not how I write programs when I'm <laughs> employed or consulting with someone. Mm. Uh, or even if I'm just like playing with something to figure it out. Like I really just, God, let's get this done. I want to get this done. Whatever, whatever. So it's an interesting shift in mentality. Does that mean you basically don't want to publish the source code of this? It's not my best code. <laughs> you want to put your best code forward? I do want to, and so I will probably not be releasing the source code. But, um, I mean, I, I, that makes sense. So it's it's a Phoenix app where you can just submit jobs and those jobs are then listed. Is there payments and things like that? Yeah, so companies pay to list their... Um, to list their jobs. So there's some filtering instead of like anyone who wants to kind of put a thing up. And um, you like, if I'm uh, an internal recruiter or a hiring manager or something, then I have my name up there uh, as well. So they sign up and then I, Desmond, contact them, make sure everything's cool and then approve the listing before it goes on the site. And they pay a monthly fee. Um, and it's free for engineers. Uh, you sign up through GitHub. And so there's like a lot more transparency around um, who are you talking to at this company and who am I, the person that's applying? And this isn't like a full service, uh, recruiting tool. It's just a way to facilitate conversations. Uh, but I do want to point out that if you're an engineer on this site, 
then people cannot find you. So if you're covertly looking for a job, your employer is not going to know. It's up to you to apply to um, something that a company has posted. Nice. So where can our listeners go to have a look at this? Is it is it done yet? It's not done yet. I hope to have it done. I plan to have it done by ElixirConf at the end of uh, the month. But it's up at hireandelixirdeveloper.com. Pretty uh, catchy name I came up with in <laughs> short afternoon. Um, but right now there's a, a landing page where if you're interested, you can go and put your email address in to get notified when we release in a couple of weeks. And um, if you're a company that wants to be featured as a founding sponsor uh, or a founding company, a launch partner, if you're a company and you want to be a launch partner for hiring an Elixir developer, uh, you can reach out to us directly. Uh, there's an email address on the site and you get a free month um, if you're with us at launch so definitely check that out if you're trying to hire nice so are you using guardian i'm guessing and some of the usual things to deal with the github sign in and things like that no no you're rolling uh, it all yeah just oauth and uh, i'm not sure if i want to do you're a not going to use like, for recruiters like uber auth or whatever that library's called i don't you- know how to pronounce it so i'm afraid to use it <laughs> I, I'm always like, how do I say this? But um, it seems pretty good. I've used Labor it many off. times. It, it yeah. always works very well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I feel like th- if you're doing that kind of stuff, like there's no point just rolling on your own OAuth signature stuff, right? Just use a library. Yeah. I mean, I'm not doing the manual like token exchange <laughs> or anything. Uh, I'm using Sunny Scroggson's very nice OAuth 2 library. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that and that's like sense. the level of abstraction that I need. I mean, I can write my own strategy, my own scopes, and store the tokens and like persist the user data that comes back and everything. Cool. So I, as a developer, will then apply to these jobs. And basically, the purpose of me giving my GitHub profile is so people know a bit more about me. Is that right? Yeah, it's a simplified login mechanism. I figure engineers all have GitHub accounts. And I mean, I just need like your email and a profile picture. I don't need your repos or anything. But they're... When you do, like, when I say apply for a job, you're really just starting a conversation with the other person and you can take it from there. But then we'll share with them um, your GitHub repo or your GitHub repos, um, your LinkedIn account, if you choose to share that and any other data that you want to provide. So does that mean all the conversation happens through this app or is that external? The first conversations happen through it. And the idea is you introduce yourself. Hey, I'm interested in this company. I have a couple of questions and they write you back and whatever. And then from there, you can schedule a proper time to talk or like a more formal um, interview because companies often have their own like HR recruiting software. And I'm not trying to mess with that. I just want to help people have these conversations. But I also want to have some control over that so I can send someone a reminder like, oh, you haven't gotten back to someone in 24 hours. Like, don't leave an engineer hanging. Um, Or I can say to someone, oh, you have a few new job prospects like uh understanding the initial contact lets me do more interesting things and also i think make the experience nicer for everyone because if Mm. you know you just take it offline immediately i don't know what's working and i can't help uh companies um attract better talent i can't help engineers like figure out uh is this a good company for you so you're using any live view to deal with this messaging kind of side of things Oh, there we go. So there's a good stuff. Like when you were saying like, oh, it's just uh, playing Phoenix. Uh, But there's some some interesting things going on there. There is. And actually, I ran into a 
painful use case for live view. It does not work well for a registration form that then signs you in at the end of it. Is that because of session tokens or something? Yeah, so you're stuck in this, like, you have a socket, you don't have a connection in which to drop a... Uh, yeah, you need to reload to... the page, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. And there aren't yeah. good mechanisms. I mean, you can redirect people. And I guess you could sort of like jiggery-pokery in a session into the redirect URL. But I don't want to do that. I just figured make a regular form. and. But but that, all of this kind of makes sense, though, right? Because you'd, otherwise you'd need to set like a cookie on the client side, effectively. Uh, what do you mean? So you do your... I'm guessing what you're describing is like you've signed up you submit that form to the server. You're saying the sign up goes over a live view socket, mm -hmm. right? But then on the way back, you you either need to reload the page or set a cookie or do something to then show that you're authenticated, right? So, yeah, I can return something through the socket to that page, uh, yeah. or I can do that like stop and then redirect. But I I have no connection to re with which to redirect and with which to set a session. Mm. So right. I just have kind of the endpoint. It's basically a brand new get request. So again, I could tack something onto the URL mm. that would set a session um, and be smart about that. But that seemed, that seemed too hacky even for me. <laughs> so um, yeah, not a good use case. But that, so, that makes sense. Yeah. Go on, yeah. Um, also, I, I'm using LiveView for the conversation thread. Yeah. Which is pretty simple. I mean, it's not like the other person can see you typing or anything. But uh, it's funny because the Phoenix docs say live view is not, or chat is not a good use case for live view. So don't do that. Um, but their caveats are more around uh, live view doesn't support append operations very well. So if you had a long thread like a Slack client mm -hmm. and you really need a lot of history, it can be very inefficient to store all those chunks of messages. I don't anticipate these conversations going on for a while before you like take it offline and right and meet them so i'm not worried about it but no, your mileage cool. may vary yeah yeah no it makes sense to just like i guess for you to just do live view you didn't want to write a whole react app and go down that path and like certainly not <laughs> no it makes sense that's cool well it seems like a fun project anyway and also very valuable for the community at the same time so uh checks two boxes in one it's Thank very you. nice yeah i hope people find it useful yeah well we should keep people updated on how that's going then. So um, hopefully you'll be able to hear a bit more soon and we will post links. And then if you're looking for a job or if your company is trying to recruit someone, you should get in touch with us regardless. Um, and hopefully we can help you with that process in due course. I say we. This is actually Desmond's thing. So um, I'm just a party to it. So, Chris, what's new with you? what is new with me i don't know i feel like we haven't done this in like so long i'm like what do we do on this thing like what what is this what are we what are we doing here but um i guess it's only been a few weeks right mm -hmm. yeah um i have been coding a lot I, I feel like my story is basically the same at the moment but i will say one thing so thing i've been thinking about and this is a bit controversial but and it kind of goes back to your point. I was thinking about all of the problems I'm having to deal with over the thing I'm coding right now. And none of them are to do with, like, Elixir whatsoever. Uh-huh. Like, I could be doing it in any language. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? Do you know what I mean? Do you ever feel like that? Like, And I think that's, like, almost like a testament to the language. It's just, like, gets out of your way. 
and it hasn't it hasn't been painful nothing i've been doing has been difficult like in terms of the like actual coding i have got really fed up of like writing absinthe end-to-end tests but that's mostly because i'm just like i just want to get like this feature done and then i keep forgetting to write tests and i'm not very good at like tdd and things like that so that's mostly a me problem but like Overall, like this whole tech stack that I've been working with, which is uh, for the listeners out there, it is Absinthe, Phoenix, and Postgres. And then on the front end, it's Apollo client using React. And I'm just using like a a UI library. Um, but like, none of, yeah, just none of the Elixir stuff is hard. It's like, I, I, I almost like want it to be hard so I can be like, oh my God, I can rant about this thing on the podcast. But like, dude, like, the only thing I can talk about right now is the fact that I I got to use like uh, named binds in EXO, which was a really fun thing to have to do. And it me- meant I did some really nice refactors on my EXO queries. But like that was literally the extent of like the elixiring that I've had to do that's been interesting. You know, the rest of it's just like grinding through CRUD operations. Tell us a bit about these uh, named bindings in EXO. Right. So at so actually, yeah, I'm I'm kind of. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of not being fair to to the things I've been doing, but so uh, so basically, right now, what I've had is this problem where um, I'm joining across two tables, and what I've wanted to do is be able to decompose my query into smaller functions that then I can compose um, even on joins. So let's say I have. Uh, a user i always use this example guess what it's going to be it's going to be posts so i have a user who has many posts and i want to join that user onto the posts um for some reason but then i also want to do a where on the posts where i want to say like where it's published or something like that right Mm -hmm. um so one way that you could do that you could write a single ecto query where you just say um from uh like user in user or you in user um join posts and then just do the association where it joins on the user id and then you'd put a where in there and reference the the um the join that you just gave um because you get that bound in your query and right. then you could say give a where on that like on on the uh on the join itself and ecto would do some magic boom bosh and the query comes out the other end everything's great but um i'd have to write that as a single query block so or i could use like something crazy like i could do a like a sub query and that would be another way i could structure it and then do a join on a sub query which um it, it seems like a long way around just to get the result that i'm after which is like what i really want is i want a function that says um my published post is a query and then on my user, I want to say join with posts. And then I want to compose these two bits together so I can mm-hmm. have like these two things in isolation and then um, basically end up with the same query at the end of it. So one way um, that's a really nice way in Ecto that we can do that is we can use these named binds. And basically a named bind says, I do my join and then I give it um, a little uh, like an identifier. So you say as, and then I could say as posts. And now when I'm doing another um, query, I can actually say from you and user. And then I can also say um, 
from the posts as p and then also rebind that variable so then i can use that again in a query and i can just write a where on that like posts bound bit so what you're saying is instead of the one query that joins and adds the where now you have two queries one that joins and the second one adds the where and yes. um just to clarify something you said in the second query when you say like from you and user it's not you and user it's the queue and query yeah 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 i sorry you're right i would be passing in the query at that point yeah yeah but the idea is like now that i've got that named bind i can actually like reference it back in the when i'm like doing the binds on the query again right yeah that's uh it's super useful to be able to separate the joins from like when you want to do something with that join yeah yeah honestly like really great feature and it cleaned up a lot of my code you get this like you get this weird coupling between the fact that you have to have run the join first before yeah. you can do the query right so there's this like it's not like you can just use this thing in complete isolation from like any other join or anything like that but it does mean that you still get this nice composability of the queries um and for me personally like everywhere where i've been using this I have to have done a join first anyway, just because of the data model. Uh, it's probably not worth getting into, but like that's that's just the way mine's working. So it fits quite nicely with my use case. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just been nice. It meant I've been able to like decompose these separate wares instead of having one large query block. Um, and I have other joins where I want to use those differently so I can compose them back together in other ways, which has been good. That's awesome. I actually just wrote my first... Uh named bind a couple days ago oh weird so okay. i'm like on this train um, yeah. but so i have a related question for you sure how do you think about decomposing your ecto queries do you get super granular where each where is its own um its own query that you pipe to or do you have like chunkier queries for like uh let's say you have a dashboard mm -hmm. of something and it's like all posts uh, just like get me the post for the dashboard and then the for dashboard query um, chooses the published ones maybe it sorts them uh, it maybe it ranks them based on something else like it does all those uh, separate uh, sub pieces to the query um, or do you have each of those be like its own thing hmm. yeah does that make I... sense? Yeah, no, no, it totally makes sense. So it's uh, so it's it's an idea about having either a single function that does all of your query and then it's one big query, or you have multiple composable pieces where each one is a separate where, or it might be an order, or it's its own statement, right? Or even just a join. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, so I tend to opt for the latter, where I have lots of smaller composable pieces. But I usually only break those out when I've seen them in more than one place or I know that I'm going to be re reusing them. Mm -hmm. A pattern that I've tended to use a lot these days um, is I, I, I generally make this like top level shared schema um, that has a bunch of like, it, it has a using macro. So in every single one of my Ecto schemas, I use this like top level schema. And then what that does is inject some really common um, queries that I'm going to use all over the place. 
ordering and exactly like some basic ordering like there's ones that i always need like with ids right i want to say like where the id is in this list of ids or with an id singular or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be so i end up like having lots and lots of granular um granular ecto queries like that and i just like there's ones that i share across all my schemas and then there'll be ones that are specific to certain schemas as well but i tend to also break out like Let's say I have like a join where I'm always um, or like, sorry, let's say I have like a relationship. Like, let's say that you have um, in my example, I have like things that belong to an organization, right? And an organization is and just like what it sounds like. It is a, a company or something like that that can own many things. Mm-hmm. Those things might be disparate types. So you might have like, I don't know. Uh, in my case, it's like equipment and medication and all these different things, but they all share like this common foreign key, which is an organization ID. So I'd split that out and put that in my shared um, uh, in my shared like schema functions as well. But then not everything is going to have an organization ID. So do you end up with some schemas that don't aren't supposed to use this? Yeah, exactly. But I'm like, you know. I- I mean, like, sometimes what I've done is, like, when I see more common concepts, I'll then introduce, like, another using, um, like, another, either, like, another macro that injects, like, the first one, and then only in certain cases will it inject these, like, particular other um, functions. Or, to be honest, the other thing I do is, like, I end up duplicating them. And mm-hmm. I'm like usually okay with that because that like these ecto queries are always like so like when you decompose it this much, those ecto queries end up being like really tiny anyway, right? You're mm-hmm. like for organization, and then I um I always always do this thing where I call it for underscore the thing, um the relation, yeah, and then I always only pass it a binary or like instead of passing it the full struct, I always like pluck out the ID and then right. I only ever pass it a binary into it or a, an integer if um you're doing like in IDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I I will say though one thing I do do is like if there are cases where there's like some queries that are incredibly specific, like I've got this like in your dashboard example where it's like. You know, maybe it does use some of the common pieces, but there's this big chunk that's like a weird join where I have to select very particular properties and preload something, right? Let's just say that that's the case that we needed on our dashboard. We have, I need to preload all these posts with all their first three comments, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. I would probably write a very specific query for that because Mm -hmm. it's like very like it's a one-off piece of behavior and then I'd encapsulate that as a function mm-hmm. and it might still chain on those other ones where I need it, like a very common like ordered or something like that, that, that that's yeah. required. But I try to, um, yeah, I try to only like break out those shared functions where I've used it in a few places effectively. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, the thing about duplicating some of this stuff, like the, I think the point of not duplicating code is that it makes it harder to change it later. Like, that's why that mantra exists. But if you have something that isn't going to change, like, you're always going to have this organization ID mm-hmm. field. Like, that's pretty baked in. Then it doesn't really matter if you duplicate it. Like, there's much a much lower risk of that coming back to bite you. Now, it is slightly more code to type, so that's consideration. Hmm. But uh, here in Elixir land, we don't worry about that sort of thing. We like being explicit. Yeah, I, I must say, though, I'm still, like... 
that I, I learned a couple of other like really nice ecto tricks over the last week as well like i was doing these joins where i wanted to then preload the thing that i joined on mm-hmm. and i le- like did you know that you can pass the uh join into the preload so let's say you did your users with your posts and you pre mm-hmm. you joined on the post but then you also wanted to um expose it back in the result as a preload you can then say in the query you can say preloads posts and then reference the the thing that you joined on the like the binding for the join yeah i almost always want to do that like if i'm joining on something it's because i want the thing to come back with it i like i i I think that's like such a nice little touch that that you can opt in or opt out of it though Mm -hmm. like it doesn't just do it by default you have to say like oh i i want to expose this back on the, the the struct that's uh you know getting composed together off of the ecto query or mm-hmm. getting selected off of the Acto query, I guess I should say. But yeah, I thought that was that's a really, really nice touch. And then like the other one I really love using all the time is um, I'm a big fan of atomic increments. Like I, I, I feel like I always end up having counters like all over the place, right? I don't know if you ever get to this point, but I like I often need things where I'm like, oh, I need to keep track of like the number of seats that have been assigned or something like that. And I tend to opt for like a, an integer counter to do that. And then like the fact that I can just do an update all and then just do um, a, an ink and then just give it the column and give it the ink, like the number I want to increment it by um, is I always really like that in Ecto as well. Wait, what is this? So using atomic um, increments in, so you can do like an ink value in, in I guess this exists in a lot of different SQL um but is this you a can query basi- yeah in the update query you can basically say like instead mm-hmm. of reading it and then updating it you can just do both in a single operation using ink that's fine yeah yeah it's a it's like honestly amazing for doing counter code you know like where you're just like do this thing and then update a counter as a result and then chaining that in a um like an ecto multi as well so you're like do the thing and then if 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 everything's good in the same transaction block, then you're going to increment the counter. Mm-hmm. It's just like such an elegant way to write that using Ecto Multi, you know. Yeah, yeah, Ecto is pretty slick. Yeah, I'll, um, this is in the doc, so I'll I'll put a link in the show notes at the end, um, just so everyone can see it. But like, I I know it's like a really basic SQL function, but like at the same time, I'm like, just just like. Tiny, tiny things like that that make your life a bit easier when you're doing mm-hmm. like something where you're like, oh, this can go wrong so easily, you know, especially in the case of counters where uh, if you're not careful, they get out of sync pretty, pretty easily. So. Do, do you ever use the um, the form of ecto queries that are the uh, expressions? Mm, no. Is that where you're like, hang on, explain what which one that is, because I always get this muddled up. So there's two ways to do ecto queries. One is the binding way, which is when you use the from keyword. Yes. And then and the then other one is where everything's way. a function. Yeah, and you just pipe stuff around. I never use the function way. I always use the binding way. Mm-hmm. So what about you? Uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> like, every, every why is over the function way? It's just like, I can't do anything with this. Except there's one exception, which is um, ordering or limiting. That could be nice. If I'm like decomposing uh, limits, and yeah, but you can like, still do that as like a you can have like a you can still do it from like a in the binding way, right? Yeah, I ran into a situation where um, 
So I had this sort of dash dashboard S query and it piped to several like sub filters, but then there wasn't a clean way to pipe to like a query fragment that added a limit. You like, could I definitely do that. Well, but then I just like piped it to the limit function. And oh, that's, like, what I see. It does. Yeah, but you could have piped it to um, a from and then added the limit on the from. I could have. Yeah. Um, but I wanted, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, you doing I, something I could weird? have. No, it wasn't weird. It was just sort of the way I set this up. Like, I was piping to these helper functions that delegated to the queries. And then it's like, well, it'd be nice to just add this limit right in here. But mm. then, can you pipe into a from? I think you can, but I wasn't sure what the syntax is. Pipe into a from. Um, no, because you have to pass in the query, and then you need because you need to do the from. The in. Yeah. So you need Although it in the binding. You, you don't have to do that if you're not going to refer to the original uh the original binding like that original mm. table which is right, right. not a common use case but have you had to do any like lateral joins no i i i was helping someone on the elixir slack the other day who was trying to do a lateral join because in that situation you need the join to refer to the outer query ah. so you're doing like a select you do a select from and then you do a lateral join which is then another sub select mm-hmm. um and that's really, really useful if you want to say, you know, this classic problem about, um, let's say you've got a list of, oh, I'm going to do it. Let's say you've got a list of posts and you only want to preload the first three comments in every single post that's returned on that list, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had this problem. Everyone's had this problem at some Just point. Just yesterday, right? yeah. Yeah. So right now, if you put a limit on the, if you were to say preload comments and then you put a limit on the comments what you're doing is limiting the total number of comments across all of the posts that are returned and you'll see this bug if you've like if you go into anyone's code base where they're doing something like this so um first of all i was like looking at someone's absinthe code the other day and they had this exact bug where there's this thing in Absinthe called Data Loader, which tries to make it really efficient to fetch um, re- like has many and has one relations of a thing that you're loading. Um, and it does that by batching, batch fetching. And someone is trying to put limits on those using offsets and like the first number of things you want back. So you could like declaratively say like, I want to only fetch the first three comments. And this is like a GraphQL thing. But yeah, you often see this problem basically where it's like um, you only fetch like the first three across the, into- the the total instead of three per post. But one way to solve that is with lateral joins or with window functions, both of which are really kind of a pain in the ass to implement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had to do it. It's like we actually we ended up doing it at a frame at one point. Um, but yeah, you have this situation where you need to refer to the outer query in the inner query because you need to pass in some kind of other identifier and then a limit and you can do that if you didn't already know this through fragments so you would have to write your own sql but then in that fragment you can then refer to the binding does that make sense (laughs) 
<laughs> I think I said a lot, and I probably I went down a path of explaining data. Can you draw me well. a diagram? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll link again to this in the show notes, which kind of hit the limits of podcasts here. Yeah, I know, I know, right? And I'm like sketching on the hangout that we have going on here, but um, but no. I understand the problem completely. Of like, I just want the first three comments. I want them sorted in a particular way, and I don't want to, that to affect the total results. I want all the posts, yeah. and I don't want the po- posts sorted in that way i want the uh child association yes exactly exactly and like it would be so nice if we could solve this elegantly in if you could say in like in your preload where you say preload comments and then you could pass it like a where or like a limit or something in there and it knew to apply it per one and somehow magically give you a lateral join (laughs) that would be awesome but i i literally have no idea how you'd implement that i'm sure someone's tried at some point but uh yeah uh i thought you could do that you could pass some uh a query to the yeah you can pass queries into um preload uh right but again you have the same problem where well unless you did something like what i'm describing the preload would be across all of the comments right because basically the preload that gets generated would be um select star from com well select all your fields from comments where post id is in the this list of post ids right because it does the fetch post first and then it does that preload Mm -hmm. it says that right here in the docs yep so yeah this is like i'm uh listeners if you have a nice solution for this other than lateral joins let me know we'd love to understand that because uh, and also, if you've had this problem where you're using relay-based, this is, this might go over. Do you want me to explain this? I'm going to talk about absinthe a little bit. Do it. I'll explain it. Okay. So in absinthe, um, which is a GraphQL library in Elixir, there's uh, there's basically like in in GraphQL, there's no defined spec for pagination. But there's this um, Facebook framework called Relay, which defines a spec for pagination. Um, using this like edges and node uh, kind of mm, like I don't know edges and nodes are basically the objects that get returned through this thing called a connection so absinthe actually has this implemented through an absinthe relay package um, where you can then say like for this object I only want to fetch the first n of this uh of, of of its relation which is really really powerful but you have the same problem where you're basically like you're either bound to an n plus one query so for every post that's returned where you want the comments you'd have to then issue another query per post to get all the number of comments that you want mm-hmm. um or you have to go down the path of figuring out how to implement these um these lateral joins or window functions in Postgres to be able to say like for every one I want to efficiently fetch the only the first three of this or the first n of this where n is specified. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. There's a this is a thing that I literally had last week and the way I solved it right now is just to do the n plus one because for us it's not that bad. Right. But yeah. That's a thing. Total thing. So I can't believe you're not going to uh, write this job board entirely in GraphQL and React and Apollo, Desmond. Um, I think you should rethink your strategy. You know? I, my goal with this project was not to learn something new. It was to solve a problem. 
I, I admire that. I was, I was kind of. Well, I take that back. Here. So but. I did do something new on this. Um, I planned it out in Sketch ahead of time. I did mockups, wireframes. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, I didn't do like every single screen, but I used that as a way to plan out. Okay, what's the uh, what what's the workflow going to be? How do how do my user stories fit? Like how did these two different types of people look at the same information? Um, how does the state change? What does it mean to like start a conversation about a job? What does the feed look like? What kind of data do I want to expose? Uh, you do that in Sketch, or do you mean the software Sketch, or literally sketching? The software Sketch. Cool. I like when is that fidelity? I like love just wireframing using pen and paper. Because mm-hmm. I'm really, really slow in Sketch, I guess. I guess that's why. Sorry. Well, I started off in, um, it's not Envision, uh, Balsamic. Oh, which yeah, is yeah, the, yeah. Like, I remember that. Which is the cartoony yeah. uh, thing, which I think is often a good level of fidelity because it's very easy to get wrapped up in like, oh, this font is weird and I'm <laughs> tripping on that and it makes the whole thing look, you know, super serial. Right. Um, but once I kind of got into sketch, like it's very easy to make like medium fidelity things. And I'm not going for pixel perfect stuff. Like I left a lot of that to kind of the final, the final touch ups. But once you get the hang of it, it's pretty easy to lay out the basic chunks. Yeah. And, and then see do you, like, like off of that, do you then take it and like go for user stories or something like that? Or what do you do? I map it out in terms of user stories. Like right. I lay out, okay, here's the, Here's the landing page. Here's sign up for an engineer. Here's the feed. You click into a posting. Here's the post. You click start conversation. Here's the conversation thread. Right. but And you're using that to like figure out what the what you would want to see as a user and therefore tease out the functionality as well, right? Is that- yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I, I'm like a very visual thinker as well. I like to think it out like that. And then I immediately, like weirdly, I go, I always... I always like fall back to drawing ERDs, <laughs> you know, like drawing to like what? It, entity relationship diagrams, like of tables, like, uh-huh. oh, I'm going to have a user <laughs> and it has all of these messages. Yeah. Plus, yeah. I, I, I like find myself thinking through the data structure pretty quickly, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that means for me, like going to something like that to start to map it out and so I can visualize it. Um, I hear you. And I was trying to take a different approach this time because I usually start like inside out with the modeling and, and build it outwards. But I wanted to consciously like product drive this hmm. um, because, you know, when you've been programming for a while, you can look at a screen and sort of intuit like, oh, these are the different data components. Like this piece should live here. This should live there. Like this has many of this other thing. And I mean, the product I'm talking about is not super sophisticated or anything. So it's pretty... Uh, pretty clear for the most part there's a couple exceptions about oh where should something live and is this the right abstraction mm-hmm. but um in general i think you can look at a screen and know where the different pieces of data are right i agree yeah i, I it's it is a really useful exercise when you're planning out a product to not just jump into the code though <laughs> i think across the board i think like even on side projects where you're like the thing that you're probably itching to do if you're an engineer is engineer right like Mm -hmm. and i think it it's still incredibly valuable to step back and think about what you're doing before you start doing it like i've i i maintain to this day like if you're just like diving into things and you're not planning it's like i know there's like overkill with planning as well where you can be like 
yeah, we're doing this huge breakdown session and we're trying to break down all of the work at once and all this stuff. But like, just just try and do like Goldilocks amounts of planning, even if it's a side project. And I think it really helps you. Yeah, I mean, my philosophy with this is like, what's the cheapest way to, to do a thing? And like with this kind of prototyping, it was cheaper for cheaper in terms of time for me to do it in Sketch and see, oh, well, this needs to go here. This doesn't make sense than to like code it up and futz with the HTML and the modeling at once. So um, yeah, that part was just like easier to plan out ahead of time. But then I also left a bunch of chunks for like, I don't know this now. I'm gonna have to figure it out later. Just like push it off, push it off, push it off. Just uh, not Yagni, but um, there's that saying, you never know less than you know right now, Mm. Um, which suggests that the more you can defer a decision, when you get to make it later on, you will have more information. So I don't plan everything out and have all the data uh, and pixel perfect designs before I jump into it. Like I understand that I'm going to change my mind and I'm sort of aware of unknowns and just kind of paper over it and think, all right, well, I'll come back to this. Maybe it is easier to suss out when I'm in the code, or maybe I do want to step out and sketch something up and understand some of the ramifications there. That makes sense. The, the, the other nice thing about having a sketch trial is like, if you wanted to show it to anyone at that fidelity, you could still mm-hmm. could, right? You could still talk through your idea and actually have something to point to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's led to a funny, like uh, build out strategy where I just like bounce right around. Like I don't build a whole workflow. Um, it's really a chunk of like, what's the first thing? Well, I need a job. Mm. Okay. I need a company. And then I have a user or like a, like a hiring manager. And then, okay, now that there's a job, I can make a like engineer. Okay. Well now an engineer has to log in. Well then an engineer can see jobs. So now I can build out the feed. Okay. Well then an engineer like starts a conversation. So, um, I, I really like hop around, um, but there's also been almost zero styling. Like zero. I deleted all of my CSS and I'm just looking at text with a bunch of hacked together. Like, here's this data thing. I'm on this page right now um, to remind myself of where I'm at because like a lot of that is subject to change. Oh my God. I love the idea of this looking like Craigslist. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's it's not going to look like that when I release it. There's something kind of cool about it. like being like, you know, keeping it completely old internet no styles nothing fancy going on hey that's that has a spot close to my heart but one of the goals for this is like i think some of the solutions out there for job boards at least in elixir land like you read through a couple of posts and it's just walls of text yeah it's hard to tell one company from another or like why is one position different from any other so i'm trying to add a little pizzazz to this where companies have like branding and uh we surface things like, are they hiring remote? Will they do relocation? What industry are they in? Like making some of that stuff a little more prominent. Mm. So it's not just 90s text. <laughs> Which also means I've been digging into CSS more. Uh-oh. Boning up on my Flexbox. Nice. I love Flexbox. Have you have you tried CSS Grid yet? Uh, no, I haven't. So if you think Flexbox is good, but you're trying to do grid layouts use grid <laughs> and like the the um can i use on it now is like it's got really good coverage so mm-hmm. um pro tip have a look at that um i did want to say one thing there's this um there's a thing called brutalist web design um mm. which is all about the kind of like style that we were just talking about like old school internet but like trying to make it like very uh 
approachable and like somewhat modern so it doesn't just look like times new roman on a page you know but it's still very like true to the roots of html and web so Hmm. i will put that in the show notes as well interesting when i think of approachable when i think of brutalist i don't think of approachable (laughs) i think of government buildings and soviet architecture and lots of concrete. Yeah, but how cool is that as well? Like, if you can just have this, like, <laughs> boom, this is my page. Like, <laughs> uh, in your face. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm like, I think that's great. Really clear type. Nothing fancy going on. Just does uh-huh. what it needs to do. It's a massive slab of HTML, you know? Mm-hmm. Love it. Just right in your face. <laughs> <laughs> These are the jobs. Oh, you know? That's right. Just like that. Uh... Maybe. Sweet. I don't know if I have the guts to take it that far. But for my like personal page, I would do that. Yeah. You should check it out. It's like... I'll put it in. I don't need branding. Send your link. Thank you. Yeah, put it in the show notes. Well, uh, I guess we should wrap. That's kind of... That's, that's it, right? Have you got anything I you want to plug is, at the end? That is it. <laughs> uh, Elixir Trainings, stay tuned. Uh, we should be releasing... We'll have the fall tour out next week. Uh, cities and dates so stay tuned for that yeah I don't have anything else to plug I'm going to ElixirConf we keep saying this but like hopefully we'll see you there um, we're still trying to plan a thing um, so more on that soon once we've planned the thing you mean the party thing yeah the part yeah sorry the plan the thing that I'm talking about in the complete abstract is uh, a drinks event that we are going to hopefully host for this year's ElixirConf so looking at doing that probably on the Friday Mm-hmm. Um, which is at the end of the conference and hopefully you haven't gone home yet and we can all go hang out have a drink doesn't have to be alcoholic we can all just go and keep elixir in and mm. reflect on hopefully a great conference uh we'll also probably do a just like random elixir talk meet and greet that is not at the very end of the conference we will in between sessions yeah man Right? Yeah. Don't sure. you want to like meet meet and greet? Oh, you've got that like vo- that pop mic thing, Vox. What's that called? I'm not sure. Not like ca- Which thing? handheld mic thing. Oh, like a portable recorder. <laughs> okay. Is it called Vox Pops? Is. is that what I'm thinking? Of? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just making <laughs> sounds up like journalists. a British treat. I'm like in my head, I'm sounding like a really knowledgeable like podcaster, but uh, it's clearly not coming through. So <laughs> we'll we'll give up while we're ahead. But yeah, we'll be doing that at Luxacomp. So look forward to that. And uh, we may or may not have some kind of microphone device. Um, yeah. Cool. So I guess that concludes today's show of Chris and Desmond talking about Ecto and various things on this week's Elixir Talk. As always, thank you so much for listening. We really always appreciate it. Um, also, always really appreciate when people tell us they listen because it's like it's it's just nice to know that people do, and you're not just a stat on SoundCloud. So, um, shout out to the people that I met at uh, the Elixir NYC meetup last week who told me they listened and also said they enjoyed it. Which is a complete bonus as well so um but as always thank you so much you can rate us and review us wherever you're getting this podcast today that would be most appreciated and give us a little uh poke to your friends or whatever happens these days like i don't make a meme on tiktok or something about it and then if you want to get in touch with us you can do that at twitter.com forward slash elixir talk or you can open up a github issue at github.com forward slash elixir talk forward slash elixir talk but 
that is the end of the show. And uh, as always, keep, keep it in. <laughs>